Annyeong haseyo. Welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare recs for good measure, because why not ride the hell you wave all the way to shore? So grab some tech bokeh and listen to your new favorite unis. Hey, everybody. Hi Hello. there. I'm glad to be back. There's a little accented voice now that we missed last week. <laughs> right. <laughs> we need somebody to pronounce their O's as yeah, O's. Just say on for us one time. One. <laughs> yeah, actually. So Amy sent me the SNL skit that was the murder murder murder. <laughs> that was like <laughs> that was it's based on the mayor of east town which has kate winslet i think one of you told me or maybe i read it but that kate winslet said that the like philly accent was one of the hardest she's ever had to like oh i didn't do. even know that this was based on a tv show that was on right now yeah, yeah so no. kate winslet is a, the star of mayor of east town which is it's like philly suburb base or something like that and yeah i read an interview with her where she said that was a really hard accent to copy and then she also talked about going to wawa she said <laughs> she felt like she was like walking into like the holy ground of and like walking into wawa and she said that everyone on said always ordered wawa hoagies can you tell our listeners who have not experienced a pennsylvanian (laughs) what wawa is because i would have no idea what you were talking about right now right okay so a pennsylvania debate pretty much is what's better sheets or wawa and so sheets and wawa are gas station convenience stores but they're like (laughs) a culture like i don't know how to properly explain how much it's like it's like a culture both of them have what's called like made to order food so there's like a screen and they have all kinds of food that you can i mean you can make like a hot dog that has like chili jalapeno peppers french fries like you can put whatever you want because you just click it you know what i mean actually in in college in college hot dog when we would, you know, enjoy some some brews in college, it was kind of like a thing late at night. You'd go to Sheets at like 2 a.m. and you just like tap, 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 and you wouldn't look. And then you just like see what you got. That was a thing. <laughs> so anyway, Wawa especially is just, it's like Philly culture. And so it makes sense that she like had to experience it if she was, you know, filming this location. But so Murder Dirter, this like... <laughs> SNL skit is, I think, based on on that. And it's kind of funny because she says like water for water, which some people do say that around here. Some other things, too. I think they said Ewan's, which that's actually from Pittsburgh, but that's okay. They were just like mixing up a lot of like PA slang. Of course, you always say hoagie if you're from like Philly. I actually say sub, but if you're from Philly, like you have to say hoagie like my in-laws are from Philly suburbs. So when I call it sub, they just like glare at me because it's hoagie and you you have to say it right. So anyway, it was a good skit. It really was because there was definitely, but it was just so funny because Amy's like, do people actually talk like this? And I'm like, mm, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they do. I mean, I do listen. So, like I said, I listen to this podcast and sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I do say things super weird, but it is. It's not just the one that I, you know, like I notice a lot of different things that we do differently, but like Lee and I talk differently too. You right. know, like we all do. But yeah, yours like, is the, well, Leah's interesting <laughs> Leah has like this mix of Midwest and California. Yeah. So she has like her own, <laughs> you know what my, I mean? My own special sauce. Well, you do, you do. And then, you know, Amy's just like straight Chicago and I love it. <laughs> straight so Chicago. But yeah, but I think you, I think both of you have a prettier accent. I got that like, like again, I got the ugly like murder dirter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like there's a lot of good parallels for the drama we're going to be talking about today in terms of like, you know, weird, nuanced country. Although I guess Philadelphia is not really country, but I'm just thinking no, of, kind of like mean, the regional differences of a place. 
It's so true. And that's actually one reason I appreciate this drama, too, is because I felt like I hadn't really watched very many small town. You know, everything's like set in Seoul. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, and not that's not true. But I just mean a lot. I would say a, a lot, lot is. Yeah. A lot are. A lot. And it is a small country, so it makes sense. But it felt really cool to experience this like small town setting, which was done so well. So yeah, it was Anyways. fun to go regionally, and I guess instead of going to sheets or wawa, they eat marinated crab. Yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> marinated crab, pork, pork fried rice, if we're going to Camellia. <laughs> I wanted pork fried rice by the time we were done. I wanted I all of it. I've never had an abalone, though, and I'm really... Right? That's the abalones. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever had them? Yeah. What even is it? What's an abalone? An oyster? It's like a shellfish. Yeah, let's oh. say it's a fish, yeah. It's not an oyster. It's in a much bigger shell, and the meat is like, you know, you would eat an oyster, you know. Mo- I mean, obviously, you can, like, bake them, but, you know, you commonly would just, like, shuck and eat an oyster. But, yeah, it's a much bigger mollusk, and I would say the meat is, you have to, like, tenderize it usually quite a bit, but it's, like, quite thick. And it's usually quite expensive, too, but I've seen it more as, like, kind of like an upscale delicacy, but they were just hoeing into it there like it was you know pickles right according to wikipedia it is a marine snail so Ooh. it's yeah, yeah they're big <gasps> i big, wonder beautiful shells can we harvest it for face serum <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's probably Remember? some mucin there's you probably some mucin yeah snail mucin snail oh right serum last time well, yeah, but I think you have to see this is not like you're thinking of a snail. I know what you're thinking in your head. That right. is not what an abalone looks like. Like yeah. it's in its shell and the shells are like these big, beautiful pearlescent on the inside things. So it's right. not like slithering around carrying its home on its back. Well, I feel like I've never seen an abalone like, a, I mean, and I live on the coast, kind of. I don't like, know about the Atlantic. So yeah, maybe they're not. Know, I have like no Atlantic anything. So I'll Google it. I was gonna say I just did in in California, Northern California's recreational red abalone season has been closed because of dwindling populations. Yes. So I wonder no. if they're just like they're running low because everybody's eating them in Ongsang. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, they have been they have been overfished because they are like very popular and they are expensive. So hmm. I'm like I've never even like blue crab is obvious. I live near the Chesapeake, so it's really common to get blue crab and other types of seafood, but never seen so, abalone. There is abalone. They live off rocky shores of colder oceans around most of the world, except for the Atlantic coast of North America. Look at that. I'm never getting an abalone. (laughs) I'm going to have to go to South Korea to get any abalone. Like people dive for them. So it's expensive. I keep okay. thinking that you're saying a bologna. Like a bologna. A, oh, like, bologna. Like a bologna sandwich. Yeah, am I saying it right? A <laughs> no, no, you're saying it right. I just You're saying it right. But, but I'm just, it sounds like a bologna. So I don't okay. know. That's O-S-C-O-S-C-A-R-M-O. Well, no, I was singing Mickey Mouse. Damn it. I was trying to do that. My bologna has a first name. Yeah, that's it. Megan's lost it, and we I are going to just start the podcast now so yeah, that we don't lose anyone. Do it. Sounds do it. like a plan. All right. I'll just jump in and go for it. So, a beautiful single mom moves to a small town and opens up a bar that becomes a popular watering hole for local men, much to the local women's ire. Six years later, her path crosses with a simple-minded cop who has recently relocated home and develops an instant infatuation with her. What happens next? Well, there are stories on marriage, mothering, and murder. We have busybody ajumas, a whole lot of marinated crab, a fantastic child actor, and arguably the best boyfriend we've seen to date in K-drama. 
That's right. We are talking about When the Camellia Blooms. So this drama won a slew of 2020 Boxing Awards for Best Drama, Best Screenplay, and then also Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor and beat out other dramas like Crash Landing on You, Kingdom 2, Itawan Class, and Hyena. And for those of you who don't know or haven't heard of the Boxing Awards, they're kind of like the Korean Oscars. So I want to blow all y'all's minds for a minute. And let you know that the writer for this drama, Im Sang Chun, who also wrote Fight for My Way, which we've all watched or are watching and love, Im Sang Chun is a dude. So does that surprise you? Yes, no, or why? Yeah, so I did not know this until just when I, you know, five minutes ago or whatever, when I read the script. So I would say yes, like I was absolutely surprised. I thought all along that it was written by a woman. Because again, I watched Fight for My Way already and finished it. And again, I would have assumed that was written by a woman. So he writes really amazing heroines who have a lot of depth, which you know, is hard for anyone to do. And especially in Camellia, he focuses so much on motherhood and the personal sacrifices of that role, but also weaves in the importance of kind of not being a martyr or completely selfless for your children. And I love that his heroines aren't afraid to cry. So I would consider Dong Baek in Camellia and Choi A. Ra in Fight for My Way to be very strong, but they also break down and they show emotions. And so, you know, to me, they're strong in a way that doesn't feel coded as male, which is often how we're given strong heroines. We're given strong heroines that are like Black Widow, like not knocking Black Widow, but, you know, I'm talking like physically strong, you know, doesn't cry. You're getting coded as male. But his heroines show emotion and admit weaknesses. And both of these traits to me show a strong character. Yeah, I was the same as you, Megan, when I read this question. Like, I'm still like, what? Because (laughs) I I don't know. I just automatically assume when we have a very sort of woman-centered story, that it's because it's coming from a woman who has had this sort of experience. So yes, I'm super surprised. We talked in previous episodes about how K-dramas get so much right with romance in general, things that are kind of missing in American television, namely heroes who are the complete opposite of a lot of the toxic masculinity promoting heroes we see in our culture. And so K-drama gives us heroes who can be badass alphas, but also cry. They give us heroes who come off as sensitive betas, hello young chick, but then who have strong leadership and alpha tendencies and stand up for what's right and protect those who they love. So what's surprising is that in Camellia, we not only have a man writing this wonderful sort of, I call him a balfa later, like an (laughs) alpha beta hero, but we have him writing a sensitive single mother heroine and getting it right. I think instances are few and far between in my experience where a male writer hits the mark with writing a complicated female heroine, especially one who is dealing with such a complicated role in motherhood in being not just a single mother, but a woman who had a child out of wedlock, who doesn't have contact with the father, all of these things sort of going on in her life and just really hits the mark with the emotion of it. And so, yeah, I'm slow clap for a job well done in Sang Chun because I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that you're a dude. (laughs) I I mean, I was surprised too. And look, like we're romance writers and I think that like, we are well aware that often men struggle on this like base level to write authentic women. And don't believe me, there are many fun accounts online that like kind of show men trying to like write women. And there's actually a Twitter account called Men Write Women. And it's really fun. And I recommend checking it out. And so just to show you like, 
because I just want to really be clear, like we've come across just like many instances of like WTF when like we see men trying to write women. So I'm going to share a couple that I pulled from the men write woman account because it was so funny. So here we have one quote. The voice belonged to a plump, round-faced woman of the sort that develops a good personality because the alternative is suicide. So let's thank Ben (laughs) Aronovich and his book, The Rivers of London, for that little gem. Thanks, Ben. (laughs) So gross. (laughs) We've got the Count of Monte Cristo, Madame Danglars, whose beauty was remarkable in spite of her 36 years. That old hag still got it. Just take her out to pasture already. And then here is a popular book that they put in schools a lot, The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. Her legs, he thought, were almost certainly the legs of a virgin, dry and without hair. The left knee cocked and carrying her entire weight, which was just over 117 pounds. I guess only slutty sluts have hairy legs. That are moisturized. <laughs> I don't even know what that's no idea. To say. No idea. Just grossness, basically. Yeah. And you know, at some point, maybe we'll have to bring on some like tie-in. There's also like you know the bad sex writing awards that come up every year, and those are always amazing and almost always written by men who just apparently love to talk about like think women like stand in the mirror and like rub their breasts and discuss them. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be a common idea. So. Yeah, I could go on and on and be here all night. But so I'm not saying that men cannot write women well or with nuance. It's just not super common. And so to see it is wonderful. So again, Im Sang Shun, you are my people. Okay, so we are all in agreement that we love this drama. But surprise, surprise, we don't all love the show's title. Titles are divisive for us in this group. So thoughts? So to me, the title made me think of the type of romance novel that has like a chair. It's like the cover has like a chair, an umbrella on a beach, and maybe like a dog photoshopped in. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with those romance novels at all. It's just that I don't think this drama was that. You know, I based on this title, I thought the drama was going to be, you know, really slow and sweet and sleepy. And again, which would have been fine, but that's not what the drama was like I just felt like there was I don't know I I personally would have just liked the word camellia and just leave it at that I just feel like the bloom part didn't work for me and I also could never remember if it was like when the camellias bloom Mm -hmm. when the camellia (laughs) blooms like I couldn't remember it and I don't think that's good like you got to have a title you know like everyone knows like Itawan class like that was a good solid title do you know what I mean I mean the drama itself I have opinions about, but I just mean as a title, it was very, very good. I think maybe they should have called it Don't Be a Joke. Yes. <laughs> the title itself, I have no problem with on its own, but having now watched the drama and knowing the story and the characters, I think the title doesn't do the drama justice. Kind of similarly to what Megan is saying, this title kind of kept me from even peeking into the drama and seeing what it was all about because I thought it was going to be a slow and quiet story, which is totally fine. Those just aren't my stories. Sorry, run on. (laughs) So I agree with you, Megan. Like, Camellia on its own would be better. It would have piqued my interest more. But I'm still not sure I would have 
chased after this one. So I thank Leah for taking one for the team and being like, I'm going to see what this is all about. And realizing that this was going to be one of our favorite dramas for all three of us. So I'm glad that Leah, that you got us to watch it because I wouldn't have otherwise, probably because of the title. Well, let me be clear that what brought me into this was my lustful appreciation for Kong Ha Nool, <laughs> who, you know, I had enjoyed in airs and then began like a little journey to, you know, see everything I could watch him in. So it was show or title aside. That's what brought me into the drama candidly. But okay, the heroine is Dongbek, and Dongbek actually just means Camellia. So while I think it's a mouthful of a title, and it does trip me up if it's when the Camellias bloom or the Camellia blooms, which it's singular because it's about her, you know, I do think when we reflect on like the fact it's mostly like centering Dongbek and the fact that, you know, that play on a little bit poetic of, you know, her journey into like blooming i think it's sweet and i don't really mind it but i do think it conveys a sweeter quiet story so i was quite surprised that the first scene is essentially a dead body getting fished out of water and i was like <laughs> right. oh, i guess we are doing something different so yeah i thought it was gonna be like you know like a woman strolling down the street you know like like it'd be like the opening scene of beauty and the beast when she's like hello Belle, would you like some bread you know what i mean like that's what kind of what i expected it's like singing to the townsfolk <laughs> yeah, singing to the townspeople and then instead it's like yeah a body like a dead hand like you yeah know, like bleh, like flopping out of the and the bag. hero freaking and you're like oh well yeah oh. i mean i do i do i do agree like the title does make sense looking back like Dongbaek does bloom like when the camellia blooms like she does she blooms by the end but i just yeah it's a great title if you know the story right so after but, the fact i like it but going into it i was like i don't know but as an author i know you gotta pick a title like don't try to pick like a fun punny title that no one gets unless they read the book like you gotta pick a title that's gonna reel them in before we get to it, a few friendly reminders. Make sure to subscribe wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And while you're at it, leave us a review and tell us something you liked about the show. We aren't here to just talk to ourselves, so we want to make sure we're giving you the content that you enjoy. Also, follow us on Instagram at Afternoon and Delight Podcast for all the show ratings that don't make it on the pod, book recs, behind-the-scenes fun, and generally shameless fangirling. And if you want to message us about anything you heard on the show, email us at afternoonadelightpodcast at gmail.com. Also, we now have merch on redbubble.com. Head on over and search Afternoon A Pod for Afternoon A Delight stickers and hoodies and weird, funny shiz we say on the show. Like murder dirter. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Not like murder dirter. Hashtag SNL. Right. right. <laughs> we can't take credit for that. Yeah. So, how would you describe the character of Young Sick in five words or less? Swoony Goober rocking the aviators. Needs to marry me now. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Soft Alpha Heart of Gold. As mentioned before, Kong Han Nul won the 2020 Bexang for Best Drama Actor for his portrayal of Young Sick, the devoted small town cop. So, what is one element of his performance that has stuck with you? So I just, I have to say, so Leah often writes our scripts. And so in this one, or when I say she writes our scripts, she writes like the discussion questions. Like we all come up with our own stuff. But she has one bolded, underlined, and capitalized. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I kind of took it as a personal attack. <laughs> like... <laughs> Didn't 
something happen in a recent pod where there was a question and Megan just like laid out everything. <laughs> they, the um, my love from another fiery sparkle planet. Megan, I and think I, I felt just like went off about a couple things. There were a couple times where it'd be like, "Tell us one thing," and Megan's like, "Okay, I'm going to tell you ninety things." And well, the then... secondary characters. It was the secondary characters, oh, you know? and she listed basically the rest of the cast. And I was like, "Well." I <laughs> uh, know it just made me laugh really hard so and honestly I did have a hard time narrowing it down but I maybe this is a weird thing to say but I really love the way Kong Han managed to yell in a way that was endearing like I loved when he got mad and yelled I always loved it when he got when he got really frustrated because it, it was never done in a threatening or intimidating way mostly because his anger was typically sparked when someone he cared about was threatened but I just love how he didn't hold back like he just let it out and so to me he was so opposite because i i make the case later i do i do think he's pretty alpha but he's just a totally different alpha than say captain Ree, who was very like composed captain Ree from you know crash landing on you i love that too and i think that kind of goes with what i'm saying about him which is that he puts himself out there and has like this staying power with letting you know how he feels, whether it's yelling, like Megan said, or like his feelings for Dong Beck. So no matter how awkward, like when he first sees her and is drawn to her in the bookstore and he goes right up to her because he's so taken with her that he can't not talk to the stranger. And she thinks he is a weirdo. Like we keep hearing her thoughts and he is weirdo, 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 but he doesn't give up. So from then on, even though she is kind of standoffish to him, he knows there's something between them. Enough so that he's says he'll settle for her thinking that he's like this weird stray dog roaming around town that eventually she'll find sweet and endearing and finally fall for him. And guess what? She does. And just talking about his staying power in wooing her can make it sound like he's a bit of a creepy stalker, but he truly is not. He just knows this possibility of love between them is worth it. And in the end, he's 100% right. So I love that he doesn't give up. Even once she does fall for him and things get hard, I don't know how to say it, but he just has this way of persevering with his love and it's so wonderful to see and it's something that I think like we've been saying with so many actors like you have to see them act or whatever but like we saw him in Airs and he was fantastic in Airs and he had you know a smaller role in that one but he was still great but seeing him in this and just seeing him portray this overflowing like bucket of love I guess for her like I can't get over it and it's just awesome I love it I really echo the fact that I think that like Kong Hanul is just an incredible actor and that in every role I've seen him in, I feel like he's been a real chameleon into the role. And so, for example, like in Mi Sang, which neither of you have seen yet, he plays this like very privileged and uptight young business intern, Zhang Baki. And he is such the opposite of Young Sik in every way from like, you know, being kind of like urbane and quite upper class and just very like repressed. And he's like kind of like this kind of person that's trying to get ahead in a little bit smarmy and like keeps a lot inside and like he evolves through the course of the drama but like in this like you said like this big bucket of love it's just incredible and I think for me something that I know has left a big impression on all of us is the drone scene where you know he has been wooing the single mom and you know she's got this young boy who has ambitions to play baseball and is also very protective of his mom and really doesn't like to see like men encroaching into his space because he's a little kid and he's like trying to like you know he's insecure and he's like his own little basket of emotional boo-boos and and so there's like some problems and bad sportsmanship that happens in this game. And all of a sudden we just see Kong Han Newell come out as young sick in like baggy, unflattering tracksuit, these 
aviators holding this drone because he's been like recording the game and he's going to like prove basically that bad sportsmanship happened and that like they're singling out this kid basically as like a scapegoat because he's seen as like you know not having a dad and whatever and the big dick energy that he portrays (laughs) as he like walks out so true it's exactly like when we were talking about King Eternal Monarch when we see Lee Min Ho as like Lee Gon coming out on the white horse Maximus to like save the day like protect her she's the queen of Korea except we have this like dude in a dumpy outfit in a small town with a drone and it's the same energy it is it's like the blue collar version yeah and it's a me it's like as a mom my ovaries just like activated and like grew three sizes like the Grinch's heart or something I think I dropped an egg like seeing that scene like like, legitimately I screamed out loud screamed when he walked on because it's slow-mo with aviators which aviator sunglasses are absolutely my weakness all the time so he's got avia sunglasses he's holding the drone and you know he's about to go to bat for the kid and he's relieving dong bake for once in her life he's relieving her of like a parental conflict because it's a bunch of men there and there's like some of the women in the stands are like oh they're not gonna the men aren't gonna treat her that well because she's a bar owner and and she's apprehensive she doesn't really want to do this but she wants to stick up for her son and it's like the one time in her life yeah she gets relieved of having to deal with a conflict and young sick comes striding in i mean it's like slow-mo i mean it's such an epic scene sunset lighting yeah i screamed out loud and went into our slack chat and just lost my shit in all capital letters over this scene it was truly everything i mean it's so funny that you compared it to the white horse scene in in the king eternal monarch because i had the same feelings and how i don't know how it's possible yeah i mean like it's shot in a way that's like quite fun and like is meant to kind of be like ooh. but like i think the thing is is that like kong hanul sells it yeah oh, sells 100%. that moment in the script Absolutely. to like it truly like it is like this is his dragon slaying moment two things i want to say about this scene and how much we all loved it and proof that we all loved it is first of all when we log in, so we record on Squadcast. When we log into Squadcast, we have to type in our name each time. And we always type in a fun name that has to do with the drama that we're watching, like a fun nickname. And tonight, we all came in with something about the drone. And we don't know what we're going to write. So like Megan's the drone, Leah's drone fan, and I am IO for drones. So <laughs> we, it's all about the drone, all about the drone. And the second thing isn't so much about how we loved it, but it's something that I'm noticing in dramas that now I want to research is that just like the King Eternal Monarch scene with the Horus and she is the future queen of Korea, is that it's episode 11. And what is it about episode 11 in these dramas? And is this episode 11 like epic scene a thing? And now I want to like make a spreadsheet about it and find out. Oh, let's make a spreadsheet. <laughs> that sounds fun. I want to yeah. look at... I want to look at episode 11 of all the dramas we watch and see if there's like a really exactly in there. exactly yeah. Yeah. and I want to see too because here's another thing that's interesting is that Camellia is 20 episodes King was 16 so it's not necessarily even like the pacing connected into like yeah, you know what I mean point. like so yeah no I think nerdy Amy when you are done with school make a summer spreadsheet project yeah man let's I'll, do some I'll data help. analysis <laughs> there was layers to that scene too and i think that that's it not only was it just visually really cool but we all knew what that scene meant there were several layers of emotions in that scene especially because at the time too pilgu the son is not receptive at all 
to young sick and possibly having like a stepdad he's not receptive at all so you know that this else is going to be really big that pilgu might be like a little bit of a turning point and we have the real father who <laughs> like whose identity is like kind of hidden well he didn't know about it but now you know he's like a famous baseball player and like slash influencer variety show star <laughs> and he's up in the stands and he I just thought it was also just like this really good moment for him because like very much he lost his first love because he valued like his fame and he's a more sympathetic character than that. But like, really, he did. He lost his chance at first love and Dumbeck because he was more caught up in like his own career advancement and his fame. And now he's up in the stands and people are wanting his autograph. And yet he can't be there for his son the way that young sit can and it, that i thought was also just like a really interesting like little moment too so do you consider young sick to be a beta or alpha hero okay so i'll go first because i consider him to be an alpha and you know i have a couple thoughts about this is that i think sometimes so we're romance writers so you know beta and alpha get thrown around a lot and i think that sometimes we as readers and writers of romance can single out an alpha or a beta hero just based on their interactions with like the women in their life so if they let the woman kind of like take the reins a little bit then oh well they must be a beta hero and i don't think that that necessarily the right way to look at it because i think you know there's more to it than just how they interact with their significant others or or whatever because to me young sick was an alpha like again he was a different alpha than captain re but he was still charming i mean i would actually consider charm to be something that often alphas have because they need people to follow them and so i thought young sick was a natural leader i mean he came into the police station and essentially made the chief his bitch i mean he was like leading the joker the serial killer investigation he was telling chief of the do and even the chief eventually just like acknowledge that young sick was doing everything like the chief was like oh yeah this guy solved the whole thing on his own like because young sick did young sick was kind of the one who really figured out most of the breaks in the investigation and he was really confident in who he was you know one thing that really struck me was when jong rayol which was dong bake's ex-boyfriend the father of her child he was trying to win her back at one point and it was just her and him in her bar and young sick comes in and he sees them standing together and jong rayol is very clear and he's like come to me dong bake like i want you to come back to me so and he was like trying to convince her you know like i can do this for you and blah blah blah. and young sick you can tell he's like dying inside because he is totally in love with dong bake but he looks right at her and you know because he can be serious he's he's goofy and a goober but he can be serious when he wants to he looks right at her and he says you know what you need to make the decision that's right for you and i know you'll make the right decision and she did she chose him because that was the right decision and i kind of love though that i mean yes he was confident but he was also just like he was allowing i guess his people to choose what was best for them as well yeah, I like that a lot. I have to admit, when I first started the drama, I saw him as a beta because of what a goober he was. But I agree with you, Megan, that he is a born leader and he is always willing to step in to protect Dongbek and Pilgu. And like you said, to step back and give them the space unit to figure out what is in their hearts. And I say they because Youngshik gives the same respect and consideration to Pilgu that he does to Dongbek, which, speaking as a single mom myself, is a huge win in my book. And that is something that Jong-ril didn't do. He didn't really take Pilgu's feelings into 
account as far as how he felt about his relationship with Dong Baek. And I'm not saying that he didn't want to be a father to Pilgu because he truly did. And I felt bad for the situation that he was in, but he was more of, you need to do this. You need to come back to me. He needs to come live with me. And it wasn't anything along the lines of what you were just saying, which is I'm going to step back and let you make the decision for what's right for you. And not just her, but Pilgu too. He stood back for Pilgu as well. And that was just super, super endearing to me. So yeah, I don't know. I guess, like I said before, I'm going to call him sort of a Balfa. I think he's got tendencies both ways, but I do agree that he is a born leader. I love Balfa. I love Balfa. <laughs> I love Balfa. And again, I just love that a man wrote this script, truly. Like it just, I love it so much. And so at first watching the drama and even through the end, I just kind of just was like, yeah, he's a beta until Megan was like, no, nah, he's an alpha. And you know what? I really appreciated that because I had to reflect and honestly check myself and remember how, you know, I know we've talked about this in earlier podcasts. There is this big difference between an alpha and an alpha whole. And so here I am having already gone through all of that with all of y'all and still being like <laughs> equating alpha whole with alpha and like, no, I need to like just stop doing that sometimes. And. And Young-sik, I think, absolutely really was an alpha. He had the confidence to know deep down he was the right man for Dongbaek. And he played the long game, which is not yeah. easy. <laughs> he, did. he did. That's right. <laughs> and there were things that I love that he said in the script that I think like really like back up that case, Megan, too. Like, I know I'm not getting it right because I don't have it like the script sadly memorized. But there's a scene where he's laying next to her in bed. And he tells her, you know, like he's trying to let her know that he's not just like this like pushover guy because he's like being respectful of her and not basically like trying to like jump her bones. And he's like, I've got the passion of a four wheel drive, but the manners of a sedan. And I was like, that's it. Like, that's the character right there, like in that little bit, because I really felt like that was it. Like he was all in on it. And I think he did basically just want to like get in all on that. Mm -hmm. But he was very, very respectful of, yeah, both her and her position as a mom and of her child in a way that was like authentic too, not just like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be respectful to like get what I want, but like truly was like willing to put it on the line because he believed in the power of love and that like, yeah, that this was like he had a vision and he was right. And he took everyone along both in the investigation of like, you know, his commitment to like the Joker case and like was able to like be that leader. And I feel like, you know, when it mattered in love too, like he he had this vision and he was able to sell that vision to the family that became his found family. So he is the Lord of the goobers, but he's an alpha one. So what is one again? <laughs> again, we have one underlined capitalized. What is one of your favorite young sick moments? So what I think is really funny here, what I want to point out, when Megan and I were putting our answers in here, because we put our answers into a document so we don't forget and so we stay on track because we'll, otherwise we'll talk to y'all for four hours. Yeah. And so... Leah's always the last to put her answers in because she writes the script. So she pretty much knows what she's going to say. So in my answer, I put, well, Leah, I know you're going to want to talk about the drone. So I'm going to leave that for you. And look, Leah went and stole the drone earlier on when we were supposed to be talking about a, an aspect of his performance. But it was, it was his <laughs> it performance. Was. I know, I know. It's just so funny <laughs> that you went and stole that scene already. And I, and I, at that point when I was putting my answers in the script, Leah hadn't had that yet. So I think that was really funny. But I was I just, laughing because I got to, I <laughs> 
done it. Like I, I do it. I was doing it in order. And then I got to this whole thing with Amy and I was like, oh, I'm going to get called out for it. And here we are. <laughs> the, funny thing, the funny thing is, is that I stood back and I was giving you the drone anyway. Same. Oh, yeah. I was like, this I'm going to let Leah have the drone. This is your young, sick moment. You were playing the long game and I just got in early. I, I was coming in with so much big drone energy that Seriously. I just put it in a whole other question. Leah has so much BDE for this. <laughs> big this drone energy. That now, BDE now stands for big drone energy. It does. It 100% does. Okay, that is going on Red That's Redbubble. Red big drone energy. <laughs> oh my gosh, it has to. It has to. That's amazing. Because I was backing off the drone, I chose, I mean, I love every single scene that he's in. I really do. But one of my favorite things that the aspect of this character and just how, like, how much of a chameleon he is in the parts that he plays is just how goofy goobery he is as young chick, whether it's in a romantic way or when he's a cop. Like, he can be totally badass and serious when he's a cop. But then there's also, like, when he just had this renewed vigor about going back to the Joker case and the total, like, young chick's going to kick some ass music plays, which is the same music that I think played for the drone scene. And he walks out of the police station. And I can't, like, describe it. I can't do it just at describing it with words, but he does like these just like goofy kicks and like punches and like shaking his head. And like, I just, I cannot get enough of him. It's big drone energy with his big drone energy to go and find Joker. And it's, you just have to see the scene. And I was looking for it as a gif and I couldn't find it as a gif. So I'm going to just go find the scene and put it in my stories or something like that, because it's so worth a watch, a rewatch. It is. It's almost like he does like air taekwondo. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, to yeah, nobody's to no there. One. Yeah. <laughs> no one's there. <laughs> Just him. He's feel he's feeling himself. It's the BDE. Totally. So yeah, look, I was sneaky and took the drone scene earlier, but I think for this, I have so many favorite moments in this. So yes, the drone like forever has my heart, but I want to talk about the moment I realized that I had fallen in love and that there was no going back in this drama. And and also I want to point out that I watched this drama first before Megan and Amy. So that was also like, you know, Megan had to experience that with I'm not a robot. And I feel like I had to experience the similar pain here of like going into this like drama that like none of us had really been talking about was on our radar. And just just falling in absolute love and like so much needing them to watch it, but also being afraid they weren't going to like it the way I did. And then like what that was going to like do to me, because <laughs> there's, there's times where you're like, look, you know, take it or leave it. Like, I like this. You like that. We can all live with that. Like Mr. Queen, I could honestly, even though it was like fun to debate, like it, it's not keeping me up at night, but like, I feel like on a deep personal heartfelt level, if like young sick had been like, you'd been like, meh, he was annoying. It would have kept me up at night, right. like pondering. So in this, like, I really am so happy. Yeah. Well, so, I, well, I just want to say about same with I'm not a robot. Like if you guys were like, Megan, this is so <laughs> stupid. I would have been crushed. So yeah. I totally get the feeling. There's like that vulnerability of like, look, there's something in this I'm resonating with so hard right. and I just need you to know you're my people. And so thank you for being my people. Yeah. <laughs> and so in this, because you all know, like my goblin love and goblin's been like my top drama. And I just really, you know, I'm a... Kim Shin Gong Yu Stan. And so there's this moment early on in Camellia when Dombeck is telling Young Sick, look, she's never going to be into him. And he's just like in his little police uniform and he's like pushing at her because, you know, again, you have to watch it to see. He does sound so like annoying and he is, but like in a way that like just works. And so he's pushing back. And finally she's like, look, my ideal type is Gong Yu. And he like grabs his heart. And the Goblin original soundtrack like 
starts to play and young sick is just like oh how can i ever compare to a goblin and i was just like at that moment it just felt so right and i was like i'm sorry kim shin you know i love you and i don't want to leave you in purgatory wandering in the snow for <laughs> you know a generation but young sick has become the top of my personal pops I texted you as soon as I got to that scene. I was like, oh, my God. Like, And I had to go back and rewatch. I, I watched that scene, and then I watched it again. Because when the goblin music started playing, oh, like it just, it was so meta, and it was the best. And yeah, yeah the, the goblin music made me cackle. I cackled out loud. Yeah, I loved it. And at that moment, I was like, I think I'm just completely hooked by this. Like, hook, line, and sinker. Like, I'm all in. Right. So you guys chose both like really funny things. And I love those. And I'm glad because one of my favorite scenes isn't funny. But I don't know why it just really affected me. And like, I actually had to pause it and go under our Slack chat and just kind of like, once again, like lose my shit. And just all I could say was what a man. So when Dawn Bake's mother returns, Dong Bake doesn't want to see her. Is you know she abandoned Dong Bake as a child. Dong Bake's angry with her. Has been angry with her her whole life. But when her mother returns, she has dementia. Really, she doesn't talk. She kind of stares a little blankly, and she really only reacts or smiles when she sees Dong Bake. Dong Bake's mom is standing in the police station. Dong Bake is there, and she's clearly conflicted because she's she's angry, but also like this is still her mother, and you know you can tell she isn't sure kind of what to do. And then her mother begins to urinate. You know she wets herself and you can kind of hear like the the dripping on the floor and young six first instinct is just to rush over and cover her to preserve her dignity and i couldn't handle that scene like all i could think about was like what a man but that is your first instinct to take care of this elderly woman he kind of does know the backstory so he knows how dong bake feels about her mother but again it's just the fact that he sees a person he doesn't see, you know, what she's done. He doesn't think she's just, she, she doesn't matter because she has a, just a dementia or anything. Like to him, it matters that she still has dignity and he covers her. And I just, I think about that scene a lot. I just really stuck with me. And I just kept thinking like, put a ring on it. And I know it sounds like yeah. the weirdest scene to fall in love with him, but I did. I was just like, for real, I'd marry you right there. I'd marry you with that pee blanket on the floor. And behind, like, <laughs> I absolutely would marry you right now. I just, I just, I just loved it so, so, so much. What a man. What a man. I know. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So do you prefer a rich, powerful Chable or a blue collar hero? So I thought that I really wasn't into Chables. And then I saw Leah's answer and I was like, oh, I, I like those too. What I don't like about the Chable, like I loved Secretary Kim and I love, you know, King and I'm not a robot. But what I don't love is when money is part of the conflict. That's not my favorite. So I guess I don't mind a Chable and, and all of that. But I don't like money being the big conflict. I do love the poor little rich boy trope in stuff like Heirs and Boys Over Flowers. But to me, that's a little bit different because the poor little rich boy is trying to sort of deny his place. Like he's fighting against being the table. He's fighting against being, you know, the rich boy who can't have the regular girl kind of thing. So even though money is an issue there, it works a little bit differently for me when it's that high school situation. I don't know why, but Leah and I talked a lot about it in our last pod on Airs and Boys Over Flowers, why we love the poor little rich boy trope. So that to me is a little bit different. But the small town hero is everything to me. Like the blue collar hero puts usually the hero and the heroine on the same sort of financial playing field. And to me, that when it takes money out of the conflict, 
that makes me a little bit happier because the conflict, I think, is richer. That's what I like about it. I don't like money being the problem. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I will say that I am a huge Chabel fan. But I like like quirky Chabel, I think. So, you know, I like what's wrong with Secretary Kim for that aspect, where I don't feel like necessarily like money was the conflict. I mean, it kind of had to do more with like the imbalance of power. But then really the fact that the executive assistant in that drama truly had all the power against like the narcissistic kind of like hamming it up for laughs like Park Seo Joon playing you know the Chaebol but I also like I'm I'm equating also with Chaebol like you know the idea of like kings or royalty which you know I know isn't like Megan's jam but like has always <laughs> been my jam like I love dukes and historicals I think it's like fun fantasy I dig it but I am gonna say that after watching this drama and having just finished Fight for My Way Im Sang Chun is like changing everything I thought that I knew I liked so I am just liking you know that small town goodness lately and these blue collar heroes so again I think Im Sang Chun like you are my people and thank you do you remember when you thought you didn't like office romances? Yes. And then it turns out I don't even just like office romances. I just like office dramas. And I'm watching like straight dramas <laughs> literally set. Say, I was going to yeah, say, Me no. Sang didn't even have a romance in it. No, not even really a romance. Shot That's with like great. the super harsh fluorescent light of an office. <laughs> and I was like, it's in my top five. So you know what? Right. Like apparently I'm not as self-aware as I thought I was. So this is a good therapy session for me doing podcasting. Yeah, I mean, I've, I always love a good, like, blue-collar, salt-of-the-earth hero. I was never really into the billionaire trend. I did write a billionaire series. You but did? A lot of, yeah, my gamer series is... Oh, like, right. Okay. Yeah, I, they're not billionaires, though. They don't have that much money. They, they're just rich guys. So I guess, like, I wouldn't say... I didn't write a billionaire romance. It wasn't, like, the kind of guy who's like, I'll buy you an apartment building. Like, you know what I mean? I didn't... They didn't mm-hmm. have that much money. But I mainly just kind of wrote it because like, a, they were, like, nerdy fun. But, you know, I just... I really love, like, a firefighter or a soldier or something. And I would say... I would... I agree with Amy is I don't love when, like, money is the issue or they're just sort of, like, fighting, like, who gets to be chairman of some, like, company that I don't even know what they do. You know what I mean? Like, that mm-hmm. always kind of drives me a little crazy because I'm not... just not really into it. But I do love a billionaire romance that's like really complicated, which I would say like, I'm not a robot. That was a super complicated billionaire romance that had much more going for it than just like, who's going to take over a CEO or whatever. Now it is time for our favorite segment on the show. It is our K recommendation of the week. And this week we've got Megan with K-pop. So this week I'm recommending Break It Down by Bobby. Bobby is a member of Icon and Bobby is a rapper of the group. And he has released two solo albums now. So his second one is called Lucky Man. And that came out the beginning of this year. So Break It Down was actually not like the lead single. His lead single was like, why you mad? I think like it was good. I just heard Break It Down the other day. And I'm like, why was this not the lead single? It is so good. Came out in like February or something. But it really gives me kind of like summer vibes. It's kind of all about like we might be stupid, but it doesn't matter. We're going to have a good time. You know, it's just very like grab a beer, sing along. It's just a really, really great song because Bobby, he raps, but he can sing too. And Bobby himself just has this really like laid back vibe. He's just really different to me than a lot of idols. So anyway, I have it on my playlist. I play it nonstop. So I think you all would like it. So yeah, it's called Break It Down by Bobby. 
And while we're giving a fave, let's give another shameless plug for our Afternoon of Delight podcast merch on breadbubble.com. I'll be making a big drone energy <laughs> logo soon. So go to the website and search Afternoon Pod and subscribe to our store. I need a sticker, a shirt, and a mug ASAP. All right. So what character resonated with you the most in this drama and why? I didn't highlight only one, but only one. There's an, <laughs> there's an exclamation point, but yeah, it's not, it's not bold, capped, or underlined. So, But I stuck with one. I said Dong Baek. And I mean, I don't have a serial killer after me, but I am a divorced mom of two back in the dating world, which is oh so much fun. And no matter what age they are, my kids come first. So I feel for Dongbeck's struggle with her feelings for Young Shik and how they conflict with Pilgu's feelings. And I loved that dynamic of the drama and I loved seeing how it all played out. And I loved seeing that maybe possibly people like Young Shik exist in the world and I'm still, you know, I'm still swiping left until I find him. Yeah, I think for me, Young Shik, I think this entire cast is full of nuance and, you know, almost the entire ensemble gets a great arc. But for me, Young Sik is absolutely the beating heart of this entire drama. And I loved how he challenged my assumptions on alphas yet again. And I think he also just revealed that a man can be at his strongest when supporting a woman and centering her needs. Amen. Okay, so I said, honestly, maybe Pilgu. I just understood the kid. Like, I just got him. Like, every time he came on screen, I was like, me too, buddy. Like, he, I don't know. I just loved his, his vibe, his whole mood. And he was so fiercely protective of his mom. And he wanted to be a kid, but also the man of the house. And he, he let himself cry when he needed to be. He was very honest. You know, there was one scene that, like, really stuck with me. Pilgu kind of tries to say a lot that he doesn't, like, need a dad. And he kind of is like, I don't want a dad now because I don't know what I'm missing. So I don't want to know what I'm missing. And he's like walking with his friend in one scene and young sick comes up behind him and picks him up and like hoists him in the air. It's kind of like slow-mo and Pilgu just gets this like huge, like dreamy grin on his face because he's doing, it's like a dad thing to like, you know, pick him up and toss him in the air. And he, it's like, he realizes kind of a little bit, just a simple thing, but he realizes what he's missing. And I don't know, man, I just... I just love that scene. I just love the kid. I wanted to be his friend and play games with him. And I just, I don't know, I just got him. So it just, I don't know how, why I resonate with like an eight-year-old boy, but. No, it's it's true. And I think like in writing, like I think we often like dismiss kids as these like so-called quote plot moppets. And they kind of are just like, I don't know. For me, like, especially like if I'm like reading a romance and there's a kid, I'm almost always like, oh, fuck. Like, it's going to be such like a have parenting kids. <laughs> I'm always like, uh-uh, like kids do not behave the way like half these fictional children do. Either they're like lisping cutely. Like, there's just lots that like don't work for me with kids. I don't know. Personally, this is just like a thing for me, like nails on the chalkboard. No, I agree. Around. But Pilgu, I bought that kid. Me too. His characterization and his performance, the whole thing, the whole package. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so what do you think Camellia's greatest strength was? And what do you think was its greatest weakness? Apparently, we're interviewing Camellia right now. <laughs> <laughs> Camellia's greatest strength for me is characterization <laughs> of a true ensemble cast. And I consider the town part of the cast because Ong Song, like, I want to live there now. Like, I just love the whole place and all the people in it. I cared about everyone's story. Yes, I was truly there for Dong Baek and Young Sik and Pilgu, but by the end, I was fully invested in No Gute and Hong Ja Young's relationship. I mourned for Young Mi's story, and I even cared what happened to Jong Ryul and Jessica. The weak point for me, and I don't, this is like, this was a stretch because I really found this to be a five out of five drama, but I'm going to say the Joker resolution. 
I loved the whole whodunit aspect of the drama, and I loved that it was Dong Baek who caught him and stood up to him at the end. And I love that the village women came at him in the streets <laughs> afterwards, but that also made the resolution a little silly to me, which I guess is okay because it was such the serious part of the drama. And then, you know, realizing who it was and, and the way that they sort of captured him was a little silly because the police had to come and pull all the Ajumas away from Joker to get them off of him because they were, you know, they were hurting him. So basically there's not much for me that's weak to poke at. It's a true five out of five for me. But if I, if I'm forced to, then I'm going to say that it's the Joker resolution. And yeah, the, for me, the strength was just like the character arcs. I think that we went on a journey with the entire ensemble. And in the end, I felt like, you know, obviously this was a romance. But more than that, I felt like it was this like wonderful meditation on motherhood and the sacrifices and choices we make for our children. Again, cannot believe a dude wrote this. And for a weakness, like it's a super minor quibble. But for me, there's like this moment where Dong Baek she went to an abandoned shopping center to get her scooter back for her restaurant and like the creepiest location. And we already know that like the serial killer and she knows the serial killer kind of has like a target on her back, but she's like, Hmm, I'm just going to go into this abandoned shopping mall and like look for my scooter that was left here by someone. And she ends up getting chased down by the Joker. And I guess, you know, also in writing, sometimes we talk about like a heroine making choices that like defines her as like too stupid to live. It doesn't sound very nice if you're like not in the writer world. But I felt like this was like a too stupid to live moment in what is otherwise a very smart drama. Yeah, 100%. That scene, was, I'm like, really, really like you're going to walk in and keep going further and further in to find this scooter? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I agree. The greatest strength of the character arcs, you know, Jangrel and his wife Jessica had arcs, and even Jessica's mom kind of had an arc with her husband, you know. So I think a weakness was the way Huang Mi's backstory was written. I don't know if this was like just me, but for some reason I like, or if I was like trying to read too much into it, but I, I just still don't really understand. I felt like they were really mysterious about her backstory. To the point where well, it didn't feel as cohesive to me. Like, I still don't understand who this, like, gangster guy was who was after her. And I also don't fully understand the situation with her brother. And I just, yeah, I just had a couple questions about it. It almost felt like there were maybe some, like, backstory scenes of hers that were left on the cutting room floor or something. And again, it's not a big deal. Like, she still had an arc that made sense to me. I just felt like there was just a little bit of her backstory that I could have gotten. Like I, I kind of actually wanted like a proper flashback of hers that wasn't directly tied to Camellia. I don't know. It's it's hard to explain what I want, <laughs> but I just I wanted... totally get what you mean, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like I, I kind of wanted them to show like where she came from, sort of right before she met Dongbake. And they didn't show that. But again, that's okay. She wasn't, you know, the main lead of the show. And I still thought they did her justice. You know, sometimes you never know with secondary female leads, they can treat them kind of crappy. And I did think she was treated with a lot of respect. Yeah, agreed. And okay. So how do you feel like this drama compares to other dramas you've watched since you've embarked on your K-drama journey? I think I've already said twice that it was five out of five for me. It is a five out of five drama. It's in my top five. I love it so much and I will watch it again. Yeah, I even put it in my top three. Total love here. Yeah, I mean, I think Young Sick will stay with me for a really long time. And I will I think I'll remember, you know, the small town aspect of this and how it was written for a long time because it was just, you know, the characterizations were so freaking good. And yeah, so I'll think about it for a while. 
And so obviously we're doing a lot of fanning over the screenwriter. And if you could ask him anything, what would it be? Just how? How do you get complicated women and sensitive men so right? Like, tell me your story. And also, are you single? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, for me, it'd be, will you be my friend? (laughs) But also, (laughs) like, I love how you see the world. So I said, you know, well, back to what both of you said, mine is like, how do you manage to dismantle toxic masculinity in a way that centers women? Like how? Because there are many, many women who cannot do that. And okay, so listeners at home, let's say they have not committed to Camellia and we have not sealed the deal with them yet. Who do you want most to watch this drama? I mean, other than everyone, because I think, honestly, there is something for all viewers in this drama, but I truly think this will appeal to fans of Chloe. Like, we're talking about putting this in our top five, top three, whatever, and and Chloe is up there for me, because we've got, like, a swoony alpha hero, or Belpha, we'll say in this (laughs) one, a complicated heroine, a noteworthy ensemble, because one of my favorite things about Chloe was the ensemble. Like, absolutely love them, and I love that we got that again here. And a high-concept external conflict, which we also had in Chloe. So I think there's a lot of parallels here, and just fantastic characterization. And, I mean, everybody. Everybody needs to watch it. But if you loved Chloe, I think you'll love this too. Yeah, for me, I think anyone who really appreciates or loves characterization, I feel like the character arcs in this drama are incredibly strong. And the show's really going to be particularly appreciated by people who enjoy a multifaceted ensemble journey. And I do, yeah, think Crash Landing on You or Chloe is a good comp. Yeah, I didn't think of Chloe as a comp, but I agree, actually. I think they're, they're very similar character journeys. So, I mean, if anyone's like a nerd like me or like, all of us here on this podcast, and we like to analyze, you know, the goal, motivation and conflict of characters. Every character had such a great, you know, goal, motivation, conflict, and they all converge at the end to overcome their personal conflicts and to get their goals. And it was all woven really, really well. I even think of Gute and his wife. It was interesting, too, because they had like individual arcs they had to overcome. And then they also had like their own marriage arc. I thought that it was really cool the way those characters were written as well. And uh, it was just, it was really a delightful watch. And Oh Jung Se won Best Supporting Actor for his portrayal there. And then also this year, Supporting Actor for It's Okay to Not Be Okay. And incredibly different performances. Yeah. And both incredibly powerful. I mean, like at first I was worried in Camellia that he might be a little bit one note. Yeah. And holy was I wrong. Like, what a layered performance. He was amazing. I loved him. Oh my gosh. And by the end, so much, I was so much like head over heels. Like he was just fantastic. Like by yep. the end, like I'd say he had his own personal journey and then his own like marriage journey. You know what I and mean? It, like he and his yeah. wife had to really figure out what they loved about each other in the first place and what they wanted their marriage to be like. And it had a lot to do with like the expectations layered on men and with like toxic masculinity and like how he kind of fell for that, you know, like that patriarchal trap and had to like disentangle himself. So well done. Loved it. Screenwriter. Oh, God, loved it. I know. (laughs) So Dung Beck might seem passive at face value, but she has agency and makes a number of choices throughout the drama. What is one choice that sticks with you in terms of her character development and why? So I think my favorite scene of hers might be when Young Sick fell for her too. And this was like the first or second episode. I mean, this was very early in the drama. And so this is when Gute is a total jerk and he's really drunk at her bar. And so he's also her landlord. And he definitely is kind of 
flirty with her and i mean a big thing for him is he just he wants everyone to respect him and and he thinks dong bake should be like doting on him kind of so he wants peanuts and he wants them like comped <laughs> he yes, wants comped nuts and nuts are a big deal for him <laughs> yeah this is like a really big deal they're just peanuts buddy that were eight thousand won Dong Bake has this really like soft voice. She kind of bites her nail and she's like, mm, as she's thinking. And I'm kind of like, oh, she's going to, she's going to like wimp out. And then she looks right at him. And in her like soft voice, she's like, you know, I sell alcohol and I sell peanuts, but my smile is not for sale. And she says it like very direct, but in this soft voice. And there's no mistaking her meaning. None. She doesn't put any extra words in it. And I remember Young Sick is like, he like puts his hand on his chest. You can tell he's like totally taken with her. And I felt that way too. Like I was like, oh my gosh. You know, I think any woman or woman presenting person knows how hard that is to stand up to a man who has power over you, especially when they're drunk. And the fact that she did it just, you know, she stood up for herself was extremely powerful to me. And I adored it. And I think that it showed us, you know, what kind of character traits she had early on. Yeah, I love that scene too. And my favorite scene of hers has to do with her standing up to Gute also, because she was trying to stay under the radar as much as she could with him because she wanted to avoid conflict. Like she's definitely conflict averse, but when push comes to shove, she's not going to take your shit. And it's when he and Young Shik get into a fist fight and they're at the police station and she's like, Young Shik's going to get in trouble. If I say nothing about what Nogute did to me, like the inappropriate ways he's like touched me and all that, he's going to get in trouble. And I can't be silent. I can't, you know, be a bystander to this. And so she storms out of Camellia with this notebook and goes to the police station and is like, here's an account of all the times that Gute has been at Camellia and has done inappropriate things to me. And this is why Young Shik hit him. And he's not the one who's at fault. And it was so huge for her to do that. And then, of course, like when Young Shik sees her make this gesture to him, he starts bawling. And then she oh, starts ball, and then she starts. He's like, "Did you just do this for me?" And she's like, "Yeah, I did this for you." Like <laughs> the best, the best. So yeah, she's treated so terribly for so long by the townspeople here because everybody's pretty much jealous of her because you know because she's beautiful, she's got young chick's attention, and they also turn their nose up at her because she's a single mom. Which I think that's a whole other podcast to talk about single parenting in Korea and how it's portrayed in dramas, but the fact that she is treated so badly for so long, she wants to not ruffle anybody's feathers. But like I said, when it comes down to it, she is not going to let the people that she cares about get pushed around. And so I just love that she did that for young chick because she could have just stayed quiet and let him just take whatever consequences there were going to be for him beating Gute up. That crying at the police station moment. I think again, like that just like lives in my head rent free. And it's again, like that idea, I think Megan, it was you who touched on it earlier of like tears, not denoting weakness for this writer. And in this moment, like they were both crying for very different reasons, but neither of those tears were coming from a place of weakness. Not at all. Oh, so good. So for me, mine was just like a small bit, but I liked it so much. And it was just this nice little bit of characterization. And it's when, you know, she's on one of these kind of like little like, they're not pretend dates, but you know, like she wasn't like actively dating young sick, but like kind of dating, you know, like, so I don't know what you call that. (laughs) Like they're pseudo dating. 
so one night they were sitting together and she kind of opens up to him more and they're by the train station and she tells him that you know one of her dreams is working at the lost and found station like the lost and found desk at the train station and the reason that appeals to her is it's just the small role where you're going to bring like relief and happiness to people because when you go to the lost and found, you're usually like agitated. And if you can be like, oh, I do have your thing. They're like so happy. And I just thought, again, like we're looking at this, like, you know, back to that question of like, do we prefer like the Che ball versus the blue collar? And look, I think they bring different aspects and like fun to a drama. But for this, you know, it is these smaller dreams. These aren't dreams of like country takeovers or palace intrigue or corporate mergers. It's these little dreams and little dreams can still be incredibly powerful. And so I just loved so much that like this truly was, you know, I mean, in the end she has other dreams, but like this, just like that little fantasy of, you know, being at lost and found and what that represents, especially given the fact that like in town, she is, she just has a hard go of it in the town and she's kind of enduring the fact that she's got a lot of judgment levied at her that, you know, sometimes you just see her escape fantasy is, you know, being like, yeah, I found your iPad and here it is. (laughs) So I just thought it was really sweet. She just wants people to say thank you to her. Yeah. Say thank you. Like that just hit me in my heart. Like she's like, I just want somebody to say thank you, Dongbek. Oh, all right. So what do you think the writer is trying to say to the viewer through the character of Dongbek? And <laughs> I'm just going to go with my answer first really quick and then let you two talk because this is what it was to me. Like through Dongbek and her relationship with Young Shik is basically all men in real life will never be this good. So watch my drama over and over and over again. Yeah, I'm dying at that response. <laughs> But I think for me, it's like that idea that like strength can be quiet and fragile. And that reminder that inside a mother, or I should say inside a good mother is this like secret steel, because I feel like Dungbeck is very slight. And she does represent like she does present very fragile and quiet. But, you know, Young Six knows that there's steel inside of her. And so yeah, I don't know, like reminds me of like steel magnolias too. But it's like the same idea. Being a steel camellia instead of a steel magnolia. Yes, a steel camellia. That that should have been the name. Steel, steel camellia. <laughs> I feel like I was in a band called Steel Camellia. <laughs> yeah, well, I agree with both of you. But, you know, it's interesting because when I, you know, I've always kind of thought to myself, I like strong heroines. But I think sometimes, as like Leah was saying, she has to separate alpha holes from alphas i have to separate strong heroines as in heroines again that i like i said before aren't coded as male like i have to accept that there's a lot of different ways to show strength because when i first started watching it and the townswomen at that point were still kind of nasty to dong bake and like she breaks down like they're really nasty and she breaks down on the street and starts crying and i remember thinking uh like is this is, is this the way it's gonna be is she gonna cry all the time but then it got to the point where I actually like I didn't enjoy her tears, but when she cried, I felt it. And I actually viewed I began to view her tears as strength in a way because she was willing to say, like, I've had enough. You know, her tears weren't just weakness. A lot of times they were anger or something like that. Like tears don't always just mean you're weak, basically, is what I'm trying to say. So I hope I'm explaining it right. But it was like I just had to really think about, you know, what I consider strong and not view strong as someone who's like repressing all their emotions. And is right. Their strength, their strength and vulnerability. Right. And we get to see that so well done in this drama with with all the characters, including Dongbek. Yeah. And like for me personally, like you all know, 
those listening don't necessarily that I'm not a hugger, but I'm a crier. And, you know, yeah. And I don't think I'm like a very weak person, but when it comes to like having like different, like trying to express different emotions or feelings, like I would say I cry like more days than not in communicating something. And it's just like, not even like that big, like it, nobody's even surprised in my house anymore. (laughs) It's part of my communication is crying. I don't know like how to explain that in a way that like, it's just part of what comes out and that's okay. I cry a lot too. And I cry when I get angry. And I don't think that that means I used to, I actually used to view it as a weakness. Like I really hated that I cried when I got angry and I really don't hate it as much anymore. It's like a signal to me that I've reached like the point that I can't take more. And so like now I need to express to you how angry I am. And if I'm crying as well, so be it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I cry if I'm angry. I cry if I'm sad. I cry if I'm like really touched or happy. I cry sometimes over just something really random. Like, I don't know, like a little poignant moment. Like, oh, look at the oh, bird. No. <laughs> so today, I just a real quick side note. So everyone knows that I am in the middle of moving. We have moved into our new house and we are finishing moving out of our old house this week. And I've talked also before about how I'm a terrible cleaner. And so I hired a woman to come clean our old house because I don't want the new buyers to come into filth okay (laughs) and so this woman came today (laughs) and she was awesome by the way very small town pennsylvania woman she comes from rough stock like in a good way i mean she's a hard worker and she just was like this is a mess she's like you don't like to clean do you and i was like no (laughs) and she's like you know, she's like, it's uh, this is a little bit dirtier than I thought it was going to be. And she's like, you need to work on dust and cobwebs. I'm like, I know, I know. So I gave her extra money, which she quoted me because I felt bad. And she worked really hard. And she's like, are you sure you don't mind? You know, you didn't have to give me extra. And I literally started tearing up. And I was like, I don't think you understand how happy I am. Like how appreciative I am that you are here and that I don't have to do this. Like I cannot tell you and I started tearing up and I think she was like oh my god like what's wrong with you (laughs) yeah no no I yeah totally I think and look I mean like okay I don't want to like belabor this point I am like aware that we have a little bit more to get through but like here's another thing that like touched me no no I need to like get this out too while we're talking about tears yeah and again why I just like am very grateful that this screenwriter seems to respect the language of tears with women in two separate dramas I've seen is my sister posted this on Instagram so I don't think I'm like really like betraying her like confidence here because it was like a public post but she recently ended her engagement with her partner and that's obviously very difficult and so yesterday she actually took the name of her partner off of like the house they had owned together. And then she went to a yoga class basically as like kind of like some self-care. And when she got there, she was just kind of like, look, I just hope I can get into the back of the class and just kind of like zone out. And I've got, I'm going to have my mask on. I can like cry into my mask. And when she got there, she was the only person in the class. So it's like, oh fuck. And so she, she sits down, she's got her mask on. And like, she says like, you know, the instructor's really kind and just does that. Like, you know, how are you? And my sister was like, you know, I'm supposed to just be like, I'm good. And instead she was like, I'm going to choose something different. And she was like, I'm actually not doing that great. I just ended like my engagement. I just took my partner's name off the house. This is a really hard day. That's why I'm here. And she said that the instructor was like, oh my gosh, I just ended a long-term relationship two days ago. I had to come to class three hours early to collect myself so that I didn't like break down leading instruction. 
and they were the only two there and she said that they like cried together and then they did this like yoga class together but it was like this honest interaction you could have with like another woman and not putting this like fake face on of like i'm fine oh good and then they like do this like class they were both like open and vulnerable with each other but it was like this kind of like authentic moment of healing and again like i just think that this drama like nods to those moments a lot a hundred percent and in fight for my way there's similar stuff there too i'm not a really good crier in public but if we don't get to our next segment i'm gonna burst into tears on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) at the thought of editing it (laughs) okay okay i'm sorry (laughs) okay i'm always holding back tears once we hit 90 minutes i know i know (laughs) okay we're not at 90 minutes yet we can do this yeah okay as a mother what's a scene or aspect of dongbaek that resonated with you I think I already mentioned, but basically Dongbaek putting things on hold with Youngshik when Pilgu is having a hard time. That hit me hard because being a single mom is nothing you can prepare for. And being a mom in general is literally just wearing your heart outside your body. I did not come up with that phrase. I know that's from something and I don't remember. So you guys can tell me what it is or listeners can tell me what it is. And she doesn't deny herself happiness. And Megan, I think you brought that up. That She doesn't deny herself happiness for being a mother, but... She does put Pilgu first in going forward with things with Youngshik because she's not going to put Pilgu in a situation that is so emotionally hard on him. And so that really just hit me. There were so many great parenting aspects in this drama. Like you said, Leah, this is really a story of mothers and daughters. It's a romance, but it's really a story of mothers and daughters and mothers and sons. But that one aspect of it really hit me hard. For me, I thought a powerful moment was when Dungbeck realizes the sacrifices her own mother has made for her. Because, you know, since, you know, she grew up in this orphanage from like the age of seven or so, she's had this story in her mind about who her mom is and the choices that her mother made and has built this entire narrative around that and about being abandoned. And, you know, honestly, all of that is very reasonable, given the fact that she literally was abandoned in the orphanage. But at this inflection point in the drama, this is a moment when she begins to see the pain and, you know, intense trauma and like PTSD that her mom was experiencing and what led her to make what seemed like such an unthinkable decision. And so, yeah, I feel like there's lots to unpack about like, you know, we're all mothers, but we are all daughters too. And I think that for me, as I like journey through motherhood and like evolve as an adult, I have more empathy towards my own mom. And like reflecting on moments of the past. And so that resonates with me when you kind of realize like as a child, but now an adult, you're seeing like your mom's choices through the eyes of an adult, not a child. So I would say the older I get as a parent, the more I understand my own mother. And I look back on some of her decisions and and my dad's decisions that didn't make sense to me as a kid and now make a whole heck of a lot of sense. So in that way, you know, I do agree with Leah well, and Amy in that I really resonated with Dongbeck and how her views on her own mother changed. In 60 seconds or less, what would be a dream high concept plot you'd want to see from this writer? And I'll go really quick with mine because in succession, I watched this drama and Suspicious Partner and Flower of Evil. So I think I kind of have a thing for cops and serial killers along with my romance. So how about a drama where the heroine is kind of psychic? She has a premonition of a murder that is going to happen and she has to track down the guy to try and save him. But the guy ends up being a police detective who thinks she's crazy because he's a cocky detective who thinks he's untouchable because he's so good at his job. But when she uses her powers of premonition to prove him right, he decides to trust her and they investigate his upcoming murder together and fall in love in the process. 
I mean, slow clap on that idea. Yeah. It's like a full-fledged high concept. Investigate. Yeah. They have to investigate his upcoming murder. Vicky, Netflix, hello. You know, let's make this happen. Hire Amy. <laughs> let's go. Yeah. So I love the way this writer writes men and women. We've talked about that now for almost 90 minutes. But I think I would like to challenge him to take up a paranormal plot as well. But for me, specifically, a vampire hero and a mortal woman, because I think that he would make really fun and poignant, surprising choices and like refresh kind of like the tropes of that genre. Ooh, I want that. Yeah, I would read both of these. Like for real, the upcoming murder and how he's he has to like, what? He has to investigate his own upcoming murder what the heck amy that's awesome (laughs) so i'll yeah i'll read any of these but i would really love to read something where the hero and heroine have to team up to solve something so you know whether it's contemporary or paranormal because i love the way he writes couple dynamics and i think he'd write a really cool alpha female who isn't just physically strong or emotionally stone-faced all right these are awesome and i want to watch them all so Mm -hmm. netflix and vicky please Hire us all. We want to. Please let us write K-dramas. We know yeah. that we're not Korean or, you know. We'll just be we'll on be... the staff, okay? Right. We, we won't we'll just, we'll, we won't or just, room. Or just hire Im Sang Chun and I will assist you. There can, you go. I yeah. am going to get your coffee. Yeah. Give you nut rubs. I can brainstorm all day. Let's do this. Yeah, exactly. Just put me in the credits. Put me in the credits somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're like the run-on heroine. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Any last final thoughts from this drama and other than like thank you thank you leah for having us watch this because my life is better for it one thing that i realized as we were talking about this that hasn't been brought up and i wanted to throw out there is i just wanted to give like a slow clap to young me's episode that was the countdown to her murder because the ticking clock throughout that whole episode was just such a great little nuance added mm-hmm. to that and i loved it so much so again clap for the writer because that was fantastic yeah i mean I just never would have watched this on my own and I would have been missing out big time. So thank you. Yeah. And thank you to Kong Ha Newell who brought me in like a fish going after a worm. So, (laughs) okay. So I picked the book rack for this week without telling any of you and changed it. So it is a male writer who writes amazing women. And this is, I would say this is more of a woman's fiction with romantic elements and it's called Passion by Jude Morgan. And I died when I finished this book and realized that the author was a man because (laughs) it's one of my favorite books. And I just literally, I think his name is actually Tim Wilson or something, but Passion just in summation is, it's a novel that is about like set during like the romantic age and it deals with the muses of Keats, Byron and Shelley. And so he's writing about these women that like influenced these men, but were also incredibly powerful women in their own right. Like, for example, Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. And so, oh, it's just I really recommend it. Fantastic summer reading. And like it will make your brain fall out of your head that, you know, a man wrote woman this well. So what are we all currently watching? I am almost three full episodes in to fight for my way and absolutely loving it because we are going to deep dive this one. So not going to say anything right now other than I'm loving it and I can't wait to hopefully binge some more of it so we can get to our deep dive. So yeah, so right before we moved, I started watching Vincenzo. So I'm on like episode four. So I know it's very, very popular and I'm only on episode four. So like I'm giving it a shot I but I will say like from a writer standpoint like guys this is it's a mess like it's a total it's a total mess I mean it's okay like Song Joon Ki 
struts around in a suit like nobody's business. And I would watch 20 hours of him doing that. So that's okay. But I would say narratively, it's, you know, (laughs) there's some issues. But again, I'm only on episode four. I'm going to keep going on it because the characters are really intriguing. I just am a little murky on like almost too many things, you know? And I think I'm going to double fist also Strangers from Hell because Leah and I are going to do a short little pod on that. So I'm probably, and that's horror, basically horror thriller. So <laughs> there's no romance. In right. That. And and say. like I said, Vincenzo's like, it's very engaging to watch. Like, don't get me wrong. It's just like, there's just a little bit of issues, but I'll finish out Vincenzo, let you know how it goes as I go along. But that's where we are now. And next up, we have Coming Suspicious Partner. So more murder and more romance. I can't wait. And that's a really good one. So yeah, so we're going to have a lot of fun talking about that one. Hopefully it won't be as long as this one. Oh, it will. <laughs> it will. And Ji Chang Wook. Ji Chang Wook is just like everything, honestly. Let's be real. Okay, so that's it until next week. Let's do it. Annyeong! Kamsamnida! Thank you for listening to Afternoon Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! <laughs>